The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by Zacco. Just Zacco. How you doing? Wow, Hat. No nickname, nothing. It honestly we, we, feels like this week is just this kind of bizarre blank oasis in the middle of the Hearthstone world. It doesn't feel like a lot's happened, so I didn't have anything witty for you. Well, a lot's happened for you. I guess so. Mr. Early Access Mercenaries. Oh, gosh. We're doing but, this in the uh, pre-show? We're doing this in the pre-show? <laughs> to answer all questions about this, I cannot t- say much, but I can say that I got to play Mercenaries early, and I can say that I enjoyed it. So, yeah. Zach, how are you? How how you doing? I'm okay, even though I didn't get to play Mercenaries. I'm doing okay. Because I got to play Civilization Six And Hearthstone, too. Yeah, I didn't get early access to Civilization Six. It's fair. It's whatever you want to talk about. Um, so... Let's go over the dates real quick. Next report is Thursday the fourteenth after the release of Mercenaries, but we don't uh, we don't currently expect any balance changes. And the uh, Master Tour Stormwind is in two weeks on the twenty second. I'd be pretty surprised to see any changes before then. Yeah, I think there won't be changes until like they'll maybe the only way I see changes at this point is if they're alongside the release of the mini set. They won't do mini set three days before the Masters Tour, right? Wait, where, the Masters Tour is on the weekend of the, the 20... 22nd, Friday the 22nd. So. Oh, yep. okay. So that means to me that the mini set is coming out on the 26th. Yep, that's at where I'm earliest. at right now. That's my current theory yeah. is that I expect it the Tuesday after the Masters Tour. Um, and it's, it wasn't delayed because of the Masters Tour. It was delayed because they of the tech they couldn't get all the uh, code from the mini set yeah, into yeah, the yeah. Mercs patch that XR has talked about that, but I would assume that at this point they are targeting the Tuesday after the Masters Tour, which would be the 26th, could be the 28th, um, but I expect it'll be that week. If not that, it's going to be the first week of November, but that probably gives us four to five weeks of the mini set only, and that's already a really short time. That's that's really good. I'm happy with that uh, because um, no card changes and no new cards uh, is good news for wild players. I cannot say much more, but um, we're planning something because we have the time window to do something. So that's good. Um, looking forward to that. And yeah, so let's talk uh, standard for now. Yep. And this is also the first time in a little while where we're expecting to stay on schedule for multiple weeks in a row as of right now. Next report, 14th. Next podcast, 16th. Like, with full steam ahead. And, uh... Yeah, suddenly there's no balance changes every two weeks. Had I'm confused now. What's going on? The meta is developing. Things are naturally progressing. Which, by the way, I enjoy. I like the fact that, you know, you're giving some breathing room for, uh... For things to naturally develop. Personally, I like it when battle changes occur every like once a month. Yep. The Steeler change was definitely something that wasn't planned and just kind of got stuck. The Steeler change in. in between over there. There was a Steeler change in between that I think wasn't particularly planned. They just said, oh, this thing is not going to go away. Let's get rid of it now. And they didn't want to wait. But I think they're 
general plan is to have balance changes like a week or two weeks after launch of an expansion just to correct the major power outliers on release and then wait another month before making more changes. So what happened in this expansion is that they ended up making further balance changes in the middle of those two planned ones, which was the Steeler uh, nerf. So in general, I don't expect them to do balance changes normally every two weeks. I think that was uh, an exception, yep. uh, saved for a particularly toxic uh, play style, uh, but play pattern. But yep. Well, when we talked to Alec, he said that that was unexpected, and if he could change any one thing, it would be to uh, catch Steeler before release. And there was one major balance change, or should I say balance team change, because Alec has announced uh, that he has moved on from Team 5. He's still at Blizzard, moving to an unannounced project, but he is uh, leaving the team in the capable hands of uh, Chalky, Boar Control, and Gallon. So we'll have a different guest the next time that we have a developer interview, uh, but we're really, really grateful that Alec spent his last uh, his last interview with us really... Uh, Honored to have talked with him so many times. I feel honored that Alec had his last interview as a Team Five member with us. Uh, he's just a he's just a special dude. What can I say? Uh, a, a a huge loss for Hearthstone uh, because he was an exceptional developer. Uh, he he wasn't just like great with the community and very candid and talkative and open. Uh, he was also a fantastic designer, if you ask any one of his colleagues. So I'm happy that he, you know, he's been around Hearthstone for a long time, right? He's been for he's been there for four years. Uh, developers, designers uh, don't, like a lot of them don't stick around for more than like four or five years in, in one particular game. And I'm happy that he found like a new challenge to to delve into is also working with his uh with his old mentors right you know, like i think he's with uh, Whalen and Danae working on that unannounced project hasn't been disclosed but that would be my guess that would be my our guess we don't know but we assume right yeah. that there's some unannounced that like that's a big deal uh so i'm really excited to know about unannounced project too like uh, that could be really cool uh, if the Hearthstone guys are working on it, and uh, and yeah, he, like we're just we're gonna miss Alec. He's still gonna be around. Uh, I think he's very passionate about Hearthstone and he cares a lot about the game. So uh, I'm sure that he'll be around. But yeah, that's uh, we're gonna miss him as as a, as a designer. That's for sure. Yep, we wish him the best of luck. And uh, look forward to seeing what's coming next there. All right. Well, we should talk Standard. And Standard has, uh, if we look at Top Legend, there are two decks above the Tier 1 line. It reminds me of, there have been a couple times, older metas where everything just kind of coalesced into Tier 2. And that seems to be the direction that we're going in. Yeah, I, I will not be surprised, Hat, that... Like by next week or the ne- week after, we're gonna see like zero tier one decks. It's really shaping up to be that kind of meta, uh, at least at top level play. Usually, um, 
when it happens, if it happens that they're just a completely flat meta or no tier one decks, it happens at the top level because better strong players are just more responsive to meta changes and they're more aware of what's happening in terms of their deck choices. They make uh, deck choices that are like they're quicker to switch decks in order to counter something in particular. So that tends to lead to the meta being flatter and more balanced at top level play. Um, But yeah, the occurrence of no tier one decks is very rare, but I can actually see it happening because the top two decks, uh, tier one uh, over there are both decks that can be answered or have been answered uh, in the case of Warlock. But I want to start with uh, the talk about Mage because Mage is still the most popular class on ladder. Uh, With the exception of Top Legend, it's pretty much uh, the number one most played class, uh, and that's because of Quest Mage. Uh, So Quest Mage, you know, not too much development there in terms of card choices. We saw Devolving be a good card. You can run it. Honestly, it doesn't even matter. The, The 28, 29 cards that you normally run is what, mostly matters and then you can do whatever you want with the final two slots um this deck i think is attracting the most you know we've talked about it extensively last week about um this deck attracting a lot of negativity because of the way it's play style we've speculated about why this deck is frustrating for players um i think that there's another thing that you know people bring up but it's kind of an issue that I, I kind of want to talk a, a little bit about this, which is the complaints about interactivity, right? You, very often, you know, people say, oh, this deck is not interactive and, uh, you know, I can't do anything meaningful against my opponent. Uh, but, you know, interactivity, uh, you know, has almost become this buzzword that I think a lot of people think they know what it is, but everyone disagree- like everyone's interpretation can be very different. Uh, and that, you know, is another roadblock to proper communications. Um, so what is interactivity? Uh, you know, when people say interactivity, they usually want to say, I want to be able to interact with my opponent. The translation usually is, I want to mess with my what my opponent is doing, Right. I want to uh, disrupt them. So they think about things like Dirty Rat. They think about things like Elusia. Uh, They think about things like Demonic Project. Cards that just mess with what the opponent is doing. Mess with their own resources. So on one hand, there is always a cry and a desire for these cards, yet whenever these cards are actually printed, there are some of the most hated cards ever in design in the history of Hearthstone because while players very much like to mess with their opponent's hand, they really don't like their opponent messing with their hand. They really don't like their opponent messing with burning their cards or wasting their cards. So that's a bit of a conundrum for a team of designers that are aware of this, that know that hard disruption cards are something that's frustrating, and yet there is still that desire to interact with the opponent, or a better way to phrase it, influence the opponent's decision-making in a more meaningful way. 
Because when you talk about interactivity, I think that decks that are deemed non-interactive are those that are more difficult to influence in terms of decision-making. Like, let's say there are two players, right? And deck A is making a play and deck B is making a certain play that is, uh, you know, regardless of what deck A does. Uh, Let's say deck B is non-interactive. That would be a deck where... No matter what deck A does, it doesn't push deck B off of its plan. It doesn't uh, move uh, uh, the needle away from what it wanted to do. Like you can do multiple things against it, yet it will still continue to do the same thing, regardless of what you're doing. I think that is a better definition of interactivity. Of something that's not interactive is something that is not influenced by what you're doing. Now, obviously, interactivity is not black and white. Decks are not there. Are, there are no decks that are interactive, and then decks that are not interactive. It's a spectrum of things. There are decks that are more interactive with the opponent, and there are decks that le- are less interactive with the opponent. For example. Warlock, Handlock, is highly interactive. It's highly influenced by what the opponent is doing in their decision-making. While Quest Mage is less influenced by it, or at least the, the, the minimal interaction that it does is basically interact with the opponent's minions in order to progress its own quest. But I think the key frustration with Quest Mage is that you don't, push them off their plan or it's hard to get them to do something else or move them away from what you're doing. But there are some cards, for example, that are available in this format right now that can push these decks out of interactivity. And those are things like Far Watch Posts, like Ogremancer, like Crossroads Watch Posts. Those decks, those cards are highly disruptive to these decks in their game sense and can offer interactivity. The problem may be that we don't have enough of them. But when people say that they want hard answers to them, I think they're kind of missing the point of the problems of what happens when you actually answer these calls for interactivity and give people blunt answers to certain things, the game becomes less interesting. Because if the game becomes about whether you drew that one hard tech card, like Hungry Crab that destroys quests, or uh, a more recent example uh, was when Evolve Shaman was playing Box by Knuckles and everybody just played <laughs> a, a hard weapon tech card that just yoinked that weapon away. That doesn't make for an interesting meta, and also it doesn't make for a fun meta, because if I'm playing a deck, West deck, and I'm getting Hungry Crab by some card that hard answers my entire game plan and deletes it from existence, then the game just becomes about drawing that one card. What you want to do, if you want to increase interactivity, you need to design softer cards that push these decks off of their game plan, that make Questmage say, oh, I have to deal with this right now before I'm able to continue doing what I want to do. And I think this is the main point of frustration right now, is that there aren't enough cards in the format that push some of these decks, Contact Rogue is another example, that push these decks off of what they want to do or delay them. You know, last week I talked about uh, an example of a softer uh, card that disrupts, which is Star Student Stellina, which doesn't burn, 
right? That there's less frustration when your card isn't burned. It's also less of a hard answer because like if 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 I have a card that wins me the game and, and Stellina shuffles it, I can still draw it later. But if I get a Luciad and my opponent just wasted the card that allows me to win the game and now I can no longer win the game and the matchup becomes 100 and 0 uh, whether they drew their Lucia or not, that is an element of frustration. So I think what we want from in the future are more not hard answers like like blunt interactivity of just I just destroyed my entire opponent's game plan with a couple of cards. I don't think that's fun. But cards that make them feel genuinely pressured. There's some to the like Crossroads Watch Post is a card that can do that, but it's very reliant on you having board as well alongside it it's situational it's only good for certain type of decks uh, but we'll see so i think when it comes to interactivity uh when you want to convey what this actually means and why people are frustrated when say something is not interactive what they mean is that they cannot meaningfully influence the opponent's decision making making them feel like their plays don't matter and what you want to do is you want to increase that tension and give them tools to be able to influence them. And decks are not inherently uninteractive. There are decks that can tend to be less interactive than others, depending on how powerful their win condition is. But with the right card pool and the right options, you can still force them to become interactive. So I just want to say this. Interactivity is not something that's black and white. There are shades of gray. There are cards that are available that can influence that, that can push that. And when you look at issues where decks are just don't care about what the opponent is doing, you either nerf their win condition because it's too powerful and too warping in terms of their reward into focusing on just getting that win condition far outweighs responding to what you do. Or alternatively, you give the opponent ways to meaningfully interact. Um, so with Quest Mage, that's the key point on frustration. Uh, and the solution is not hungry crab that eats quests. You don't want to like, if the current problem is that one of the players in the experience is miserable, you don't want to share that part of the experience with your opponent. It shouldn't be, I'm going to bring you down to my level sometimes. It should be that this game should feel better for both players. No, it's... We're not going to belabor the point. We had an hour-long discussion about Mage last week and about yeah, know, yeah, but design the, in general. I kind of wanted to say that. Yeah. I kind of wanted well, to say it. that about interactivity because it's thrown a lot. And I think that it's better to explain what the key point of frustration is for players yeah. who say this is uninteractive, right? What do they mean usually when they say that? And how do you address that? Whether you do that by a blunt answer, which is doesn't lead to good gameplay, or softer answers, which could lead to better gameplay. Yeah, that's definitely the the you know the talk of this expansion. Um, I think that it's you know as always, whenever there's a their design concern becomes you know people focus on symptoms, not on causes. And if I look real closely about Quest Mage, like I don't know if people want more neophytes or robes or four posts or whatever. It's not about slowing the deck down. It's about slowing the games down. And the tools that we have to beat Mage right now doesn't do not really slow games down because you have to do something like stick a four post and then play a bunch of stuff and then hit him in the face. And the players that want to get invested in games with more turns, there's not really an effective way to do that right now without losing to Ignite. So 
I actually thought about cards. Like imagine had that they print something like a drop, like a minion that has a battle cry they set that says something like increase the cost of your opponent's spells, reduce the cost of their minions by one. Or the opposite, where you could play the opposite card that would screw over Rogue, for example. These kind of cards that far watch post type cards that warp like change their your opponent's resources without destroying them but you could still heavily affect them so if a deck is highly warped towards just playing spells you can screw that over there are plenty of ideas that you can do to influence their hand and influence their resources without burning them completely and making them useless right making the game unwinnable uh, but in any case i'm hoping to see some of these cards i'm hoping to see more watch post type cars in the future not necessarily watch posts that don't attack and do that thing but cards that influence the opponent's resources without deleting them entirely also wildfire mage not a deck so uh we should move on to druid yeah so druid very good very good Tondruid, very good deck. But in a way, I think that Tondruid's popularity is something that also enables Quest Mage because it keeps Face Hunter down at many la- ladder brackets. Oh, so Tondruid stops the Face Hunters and then uh, Mage can beat the Tondruids. Yes, that's kind of what's happening. Um, it also stops other things that counter Mage, things like Anaconda Druid. So many of the Mage counters are curbed by the presence of Tondrid, and this is why the meta is part of the reason why the meta is more favorable for mage than it was before the balance changes uh but Tondrid, pretty good i i don't have much to say about you can run the kazakas build the kazakas build is actually looking a little bit better than the standard build just because you know as Tondrid grew in popularity more of its counters come up kazakas tends to be better uh, against its counters it's a very good play on turn five alongside the one mana golem if you have a board you can get a buffer and that can be huge sometimes you have a, a like in your tougher matchups usually they're trying to clear your board so you don't have much to buff so you play it on four try to get a copy effect on five and then like copy divine shield can be very difficult to remove and suddenly you have something to to leverage with uh arbor up and such so Kazakas can be good. Panther is still good. So you can play whatever you want. Uh, no no other developments in Druid, really. Anaconda yeah. is, is what it is. It beats some things and it hard loses to other things. The uh, Kazakas I've found, I've been playing a bit. I, we got a question in the VS Discord about uh, why is the Wriggling Horror good in the Kazakas build and not the other build. The answer is if you want to run one Wriggling Horror over the Argent Squire, go nuts. Like it's That card slot doesn't matter a ton. It's fine. Um, and I have been playing with the Kazakus build as well, and I, I look for, a uh, one a lot of the time so I can build my own Mark of the Lotus. There's a lot of time where that's pretty effective. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's pretty good, and uh, the, the main reason why Kazakus is good in Tundra is because you don't just run five Golem. You are very, there are many situations where you're looking for the one Golem. And when you get a buffer, it's huge. Like Mark of the Lotus on a stick is very powerful. Um, so, yeah. 
Yep. I've seen uh, anecdotally an increase in anaconda druids for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but if I'm playing the fast druid against a slow druid, I'm pretty happy. Well, it makes sense. Like, you're playing high legend. Um, like, the anaconda druids are very good against... Uh, like, I mean, they're decent against rogue, but they're also very good against demon hunters. And there are more demon hunters um, that, you know, try to counter rogues at the very top legend. So it makes sense that you can... You, you might run onto them. Obviously, hard answer to mage. By the way, celestial alignment. You can consider that a soft tech. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit hard, but it's it's kind of a card that furthers your own game plan, and yet it heavily disrupts uh, quest decks. Zach, I was playtesting quest hunter today. It feels like a hard counter. That's what that feels. It like. It is a hard look, anaconda. Oh, that matchup so, is miserable. Alignment. It's almost as yeah, yeah. It's almost as bad as the quest mage matchup against uh, Celestial Alignment. Uh, that matchup is miserable. I've been playing Quest Hunter too. If you run into anaconda, you kind of have to try and kill them before they're able to to alignment because once they do that, it becomes very hard to do anything. And if they go swarm in a solar arbor, you you have no actual answer. There's just not a thing you can do. Yeah, but usually the alignment is what gets you in that matchup. But yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Rogue. Um... Contact Rogue. So Contact Rogue, Zach, when I talk about this deck, I have to turn off my ceiling fan because the skill cap in is so It's a massive hat. It's the, it's the biggest skill cap you've ever seen. Skill cap this big, they don't come very often. They, they don't ever come. Like... Like people have asked me, like, is is this deck the the most skill intensive deck in the history of Hearthstone? Well, it's the most skill intensive deck in the history of the data report. So, up until Whispers, when the data report came up, I've never seen a deck improve this much at high MMRs. Never, never seen anything like it. It's it's insane. Like this deck, uh, you know, we we've written about it in the report. You can you can just read it. It, it, that's insane. Now, uh, you know, people have started playing Guild Traders. And, you know, when I initially looked at it, I didn't look at it in the data. When I saw people doing that, I said, why, why are they doing that? Well, what, what's going on there? But the card makes sense for the top legend meta, which is why we put it in the report. Because if you want to play Rogue, this deck, you want to play Garot Contact Rogue, you're pretty much a top legend. I don't recommend running this deck anywhere else. I don't recommend uh, intermediate players to play it. I don't recommend advanced players to play it. Only the very top players can make this deck work. It is absolutely miserable everywhere else. It just doesn't function. Like I'm playing, I have, um, like I'm kind of, uh, I ha- I'm playing on two servers, right? On EU, I'm, I'm top thousand. I run into rogues and I sweat. I can feel the skill cap. I can feel it how good that deck is uh, in the hands of better players. On NA, I kind of dumpstered. I played some fun memes and I dumpstered. So I'm playing at lower MMR. I run into this deck. It's like that dog meme. It's like that doggo meme. Top legend contact rogue is like, he ha- he's all brawny and muscly. And and lower MMR, it's like the, the dog is like crying, is a wimp. That's basically it with this deck. Yeah. The people that should play this deck are the people that already think it's broken. Like it's if you Pretty already much. are piloting this deck and you think it's broken and you are doing well with it, then then you are the people that should play it. And anyone else that wants to learn it, by all means, it is extremely, extremely challenging to play. And 
I mean, if you want to try and learn it, I mean, some people like to punch above their weight and try to master something that's really difficult. So yeah, you can do that, but don't expect to win a lot. Like you're yeah. going to throw also, a lot of games. If you are learning this deck, do not play in mobile. You need a deck tracker. You 100% yeah, you, need a deck tracker. Mobile is, is awful for this deck. I don't know how you can play it on mobile pretty, uh, at any degree of competence. So, uh, so yeah, um, good deck. Uh, good deck, but very high skill cap. High skill yeah. cap. But okay. The highest but skill we, cap. But we see it in the data. It's not like that the data cannot account for skill. It is it is a clear outlier in terms of what we see in terms of performance and win rate that is actually happening on the ladder. This is kind of what I memed about skill cap, right? Because when people... Um, when people were talking about Lifesteal, DH, and Dark Moon, and they said this is actually the best deck ever, and it's just people but don't people know how to play it. people are playing it wrong. They don't know how to play it, so the stats way down or whatever and i look at the difference between top legend and and uh, diamond one of four i look at the uh, the disparity uh in matchups not looking at because sometimes the field is going to influence a deck's win rate at different brackets because you know if a field is for more favorable that can contribute to the deck's win rate but when i try to eliminate all other factors and look at the disparity just the matchup disparity based on skill and I look at something like like a Steeler Warlock, and I see like a two three percent win rate improvement, and it goes from tier dumpster to uh, um, like t- upper dumpster to like tier three. I'm gonna say, oh, okay, this deck is skill testing. It's more skill testing than others, but are we really expected to believe? that it makes that big of a jump from top 1,000 legend to top 100 legend suddenly becomes 6% better? No, that doesn't work that way. You can actually measure uh, a skill ceiling. You can actually see, you can actually project the learning curve, the skill curve at, uh, at higher levels of play. And Content Rogue puts every one of these past examples to shame. The way that it improves is unlike anything I've seen before. And honestly, if it jumps from diamond ranks to top legend by like 7.5%, that's around that number. 7.5%. It's absurd. Like 3-4% is considered extremely high skill cap. 3-4% is historically high. And this deck just jumps over 7%. That's something else entirely. And if somebody wants to tell me, Zach, this is actually the best deck in the game, I would tell him, you know, you may have a point. Just because it's expected, right? If it if it jumps that high at top 1,000 and the projection of the skill curve is so high, there is reason to believe it can add a few, like a couple more percentages at the very top end of ladder, at top 100 it's possibly the best stack because, because yeah, because the scaling is insane. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, I think that at this point in the future, whenever such a deck, you know, oh, people will start claiming this is the best deck, but people don't know how to play it. If it doesn't show in the data, I'm not going to believe it. I mean, I haven't believed it before, but you have this new case study that's a clear case study, a clear example of data is not blind to skill. Data can very much identify skill. 
And if it doesn't happen in the data, um, it's probably... That's probably the player influencing it, right? If something is It's probably a fairy tale. If something is only good in top 100, that means that the best players in the world are playing a mediocre deck and are offsetting for that, right? Because the very best players in the world will absolutely make anything look good. Just look at, again, the example of Tice with with Questfell Demon Hunter. Yeah, he's been he's been top 25 with a deck that I can comfortably say is utter trash. Ty's basically nuked Fell Demon Hunter's win rate everywhere outside of top legend where people are smart enough not to net deck him. <laughs> like pretty much. Like not the that people they're smart on top enough legend to win with the deck list. They're smart enough to know that it's bait. Yeah, they're smart enough to know that it's bait and they're not touching it. They're playing the McTheridon build, the build in the report, and they're doing well with Fell Demon Hunter. People are not playing Tice's build over there, but they're playing it everywhere else on ladder and it's utter trash. It's it's a tier six deck. So the best players in the world can make can can post individual results that make any bad deck look good. Uh, the question is, how do you uh, filter the garbage from the true outliers? And you can see it in the data. It's pretty clear. Uh, yeah. So I'm really happy that this deck happened. I'm really happy that this deck emerged. I'm not sure I'm happy about this deck existing for the next uh, six months. <laughs> the experience but- in in High Legend Ladder and playing against these constantly and keep uh, keep queuing into into really good players with this and just getting completely taken apart no matter what I'm playing. And it honestly, like, I don't feel like I know what to play to beat it. Because even your face hunter... They're playing Lifesteal Demon Hunter. That's a that's a strong counter. Yeah. You can play Lifesteal Demon Hunter. You can glide him. Yeah. You, 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 like, that. that's something that they cannot overcome. That's a 65-35 matchup, and it doesn't change between uh, skill brackets because... The rogue really is in a very tough spot in that matchup, though I think Guild Trader helps. Uh, a Guild Trader helps you OTK more consistently um, because the Kazakas doesn't do much for you in that matchup. Um, so that that adjustment makes uh, sense. You can also play like uh, Warrior uh, with Armor Gain. That also helps, though again, Guild Trader helps uh, in that matchup too. So... I tested that matchup a bunch. Like it's, it's at, against the very best players. These are they're supposed to feel like counters, and they and like you said, you start to sweat a little bit because the best players can make these things work out of nowhere. Demon Hunter, I'm I'm pretty convinced. No, Demon Hunter is a is a counter. Demon Hunter sure. is absolutely a counter. Uh, Warrior, if you're playing Guild Trader, I'm not even sure it's a counter. I'm not even sure if you're like if your opponent plays Guild Trader. I'm not sure you're favored at all, because they can deal a billion damage to you, uh, and get out get through that armor. So we'll see. But um, I, honestly, I kind of don't want to see this deck nerfed so soon, Hat, just because I want to continue to collect data for it, uh, and just archive it, and so I can keep going back to it and study its behavior when we see future examples of. of uh, decks with high learning curve, and I, I just have this. Th- this is basically a, a data gold mine for me, like that I can keep re- referencing in the future. So if it, if it gets nuked too quickly, then we're kind of gonna lose some research. But uh, I, I don't think it's gonna get nerfed anytime soon. 
So I'm going to have some some good data to compare in the future. Uh, I know that there's an interaction right now with talented arcanists that feels weird, but that's a pretty fringe inclusion anyways, and I don't think would impact the viability of the deck, so I could see that being changed, but it doesn't matter. I don't know if this is on their radar for balance changes, and again, if this would only be... This is like the top 1% of the top 1% that you're talking about nerfing Yeah, yeah, for. this deck is just... Uh, like, its power only affects a very small subset of players, and honestly, that subset of players... Like explain the deck, like generally, like this is some people's favorite deck. Like I think you're gonna look back, and you're gonna ask people what was your favorite deck in Hearthstone, like top three, and I think that Contact Rogue is gonna be up there in the conversation for a lot of players. So I don't mind it for now. I'm I'm still on. I think I still like Baron's Miracle a little bit more. Be yeah, that I mean. I like Baron's Miracle because I could actually play it. Yeah. <laughs> I could actually play it. Well, it just wasn't quite as stressful to play. Like, it's I can get wins with Rogue, but it's, it's the current Rogue is so difficult. And the like the Baron's Miracle, it was challenging, but like also you got to play for board and you got to play Jandis. It's mostly field contact. Utilization of field contact is really difficult in this deck. Knowing when to start going off with field contact. When to discount Octobot, when to go for the Garot plan, whether to deviate away from it. It's uh, there are so many decisions and they're so unintuitive. I bet you could ask ten different people that play Garot Rogue what the hardest part of the deck is, and ten different people will, you get ten different answers. Uh, that will make sense uh, because there are a lot of difficult things about that deck. Yep, secret passage utilization. It's- I mean, I can go on and on. Augmerson's as like, removal, uh, you know, yeah, it's, just, it's like your sh- shadow step usage. We could do a whole episode on how to shadow step in that deck. Like there's so much complexity into how you have to maximize those. I'm playing against top legend players and they're just playing field contact, shadow step, pass. They're, yep. <laughs> field contact, shadow, just to discount it for the next turn. Doing nothing. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a deck. <laughs> it's a deck. Uh, other other rogue decks, quest rogue kind of fell off a little. I expected it, um, considering you're seeing even more mages and less warriors. That's not good. It wants to see the opposite of that. Poison rogue is poison rogue. It's gonna always gonna do. It seems like it's always gonna do well at top legend just because the meta is slower. Uh, but it never gets to that popularity where you know, you know. We've said last week, uh, like if it was. 15% of the meta, it would be unbearable. Uh, but thankfully, this deck, even though it performs well, is not attractive uh, for players. Uh, so it keeps uh, being very fringe. Demon Hunter is the answer to Rogue. Mostly, if you're a top legend, you want to answer Contact Rogue. Lifesteal Demon Hunter is the way. Though Lifesteal Demon Hunter's matchup spread is not particularly well-rounded. You're very reliant on hitting the Contact Rogue and the Quest Mages. Basically, this deck beats the non-interactive decks uh, that people complain about by being even more non-interactive <laughs> than they are. Uh, I'm just meaning. But but yeah, the deck is unplayable again. Like, really bad outside of that specific field of rogues and even at the specific field of rogue it's not particularly great 
there is a big wind win rate disparity, but a lot of it also has to do with, um, you know, build related and also field related. You look at Fell Demon Hunter as the same thing. Like Fell Demon Hunter seems to jump in its performance at Top Legend far more. Uh, like, uh, v- like not far more. It jumps a lot, but it's not skill cap related. It's because of Tice. Tice ruined this deck for everyone on ladder. <laughs> ruined this archetype's aggregated data. Uh, like you, you Mactheridon is so good. Like, but like you know, the Tice build also runs Mactheridon. It just runs a bunch of trash cards as well. And that's a problem. Uh, but yeah, it feels like we're criticizing Tice. We're not. Like he's doing content. I think he's, he's amazing. With, he can win with yeah. whatever he wants. Yeah, I yeah. wish I could be that. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just specifying it to the, uh, to, to, to the listeners so that I understand. And I, you know, I also mentioned the report so that I understand why the win rate for Fell Demon Hunter is so low outside of like Legend Top Legend. It's not because of skill. Disparity, it's build disparity. Uh, I can look at the data and understand and analyze what are the factors that cause a, a rise in a deck's win rate at different rank brackets. And you can very clearly, dramatically see it in Fell Demon Hunter. In any case, yeah, Death Rattle, pretty good as well. Demon Hunter is pretty diverse. There's there's multiple options. Uh, Fell Demon Hunter, very successful control deck in this meta. Uh, uh, I'm checking off my bingo card. Hunter. Checking it off. Yeah. <laughs> Very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Demon Hunter is is in a decent spot, much like most other cost, like most classes in the game are in this decent spot and not overly uh, overbearing. I think the meta is pretty balanced, and you can clearly see it in the report as well, with multiple uh, play styles being viable. You look at Hunter, Face Hunter right now is the hottest thing. Uh, it's like the the weird thing is that Face Hunter right now is more popular at Top Legend and better at Top Legend relatively than at lower ranks. So usually we see the opposite. You're looking for the reason. The reason is Tondroid. Tondroid drops off a little at Top Legend, both in win rate and popularity. That open space for Face Hunter to thrive in. Um, and Face Hunter is really good. It's just not respected as much as other decks in, in, in that field. So it's just allowed to do what it wants to do. It's very good against Warlock. Uh, it's very good against... Its matchup is generally well-rounded. And things that beat it, like Fell Demon Hunter, are not very popular. So Face Hunter very strong. If you're playing at that slower meta, then consider running Guardian Arg Merchant instead of Wound Prey. Wound Prey is good is better against like your Tondroids, the Mirrors, the Paladins, any faster matchups. Um like the, the hand buff secret paladins, that's what I meant. Any fast matchup, you want Wound Prey because it affects the board. You, you're more likely to target your opponent's minions with it. And then it's much more useful. But in the slower matchups, sometimes just putting a Guardian Arbitrant and and pinging a Felma that just woke up can be very difficult to deal with for a lot of the slower decks that are more passive and don't contest the board in the early game as aggressively as others. So Archmerchant can be worth it even without Bone True Brawler. This is the deck I got Legend with uh, this week, and I tweeted about it cryptically like, oh, it's uh, the face on deck in the report, and it's going to be new and different. And then uh, we changed it because... Moon Prey is going to end up being better at most of the ladder. But Ogmerton was good for me. I liked it. 
yeah, because you're playing at high MMR, huh? Then Naga Merchant is better at high MMR uh, than Wunprey right now. I'm not sure it's going to last. Like, it depends on, on the prevalence of the mirror matchup. The mirror matchup, uh, Wunprey is just much better. Think about, like, your opponent just played Initiate, and think of the difference between Wunprey and Guardian Og Merchant in that situation, right? Yeah. It's... If you don't value the 1-1 one, one rush, you can still use Og Merchant as removal. Instead of 1-1 one, one rush, you get a 2-1. Fine, whatever. Um, but also the bubble is clearly better. If you need the 1-1 one, one rush, or if you need to deal 1 damage to 2 things in the turn on, for 1 mana, like obviously you need Wunprey. And so it's just a question of... is yeah. another one where Wunprey is generally better. Um, but yeah. yeah. It's a world of difference there, but like you need to get value from the 1-1 one, one rusher, and otherwise Og Merchant is better. But most places on ladder, you'll get value from the one-one rusher for for popping off divine shields or whatever, um, or for just killing stuff. You know, it's a it's a tough choice. I will also say the Taunt Druid matchup. It felt really difficult to win unless I drew True Aim Crescent. True Aim Crescent in that matchup is unbelievable. Like it's really, really, really strong. Yeah, there. because usually in that matchup, you're falling behind, and Crescent can help you get back to the board. Uh, this is this is why Taunt Druid is so effective against Face Hunter. So yeah, uh, quest hunter, quest hunter, um, good deck, decent deck, um, a tier B deck, like uh, like most decks in the format, uh, perfectly viable. If you want to counter the most popular deck uh, on the climb the legend, then quest hunter gets the jump down. Very good against mage. Honestly, I've played this deck. I've never lost a mage. I don't know how this matchup is not one hundred zero. Like, I think that if you deny their ability to progress the quests, which you can, you just overwhelm your own stuff. You never hit them in the face with minions. Uh, and certainly, like, you can before barrier, after barrier, just don't bother. You don't need to deal a single point of damage to mage with your minions. You just destroy them. And, like, it's not like they didn't have... They weren't lucky or anything. I've been consistently double Encanter's Flow. Like they have Encanter's Flow on three, Encanter's Flow on four, into Arcane Intellect, and they still couldn't beat me. Like that matchup feels so good for the Hunter. Yeah, Honestly, maybe even better than Face Hunter, at least the way it feels, judging from how I, uh, I've played that matchup. I think I'm 10-0 and zero against Quest Mage. Like it's it's, uh, it's a total nightmare for the mage. Like, complete disaster yeah. for the mage. And Druid has also felt very good. The bad matchups are like Paladin, Libran Paladin. Warlock is very tough. Um, yeah. Good rogue players. <laughs> good rogue players make you feel miserable, too. Yes. Funny how that works. So... I think that uh, Warrior was kind of the talk of the town with this expansion... Uh, with the buff, it, it went from not a class to a class. It's definitely cooled off. You're a bit. calling it an expansion. It was a patch. It was that, one patch, yet it 20, feels 21. like an expansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet it feels like an expansion, certainly for Warrior. Warrior actually had the the most interesting findings this week. Um, basically, every archetype had something to tell this week that was new and I didn't see before. So that was pretty cool. Like AgroQuest Warrior. Is a decent deck. It falls off, tapers up a little bit at high levels of play, but I actually looked into Troublemaker, and Troublemaker is starting to pop up. 
usually is a single copy. People are not running two copies. I want to flow two copies to see how two copies perform. Because one, because Troublemaker suddenly looks better than any other, you know, 29th and or 30th card I've seen in that deck. You know, people are playing Nitro Boost Poison. We tried the idea of Rokara, but Troublemaker seems to fit this deck well, which isn't very intuitive because, oh, we have the quest win condition. Why do we need Troublemaker? Where, well, when you play the quest, um, it doesn't kill the opponent very quickly. Uh, it, it takes a while. And this is a fairly aggressive deck that wants to close down games. If you're playing against Mage, um, Brokara is not going to get the job done. But Troublemaker can kill the opponent in two turns. Like, if they don't remove Troublemaker, they're pretty much dead. So, it give, it, it makes the car clock faster. It, 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 and it also, it's very difficult to play against a Troublemaker when, when Juggernaut is online. Like, what do you do? Because it clears your stuff, and you they always have a weapon to remove your minions. So, basically, if you don't deal with a Troublemaker, it's just completely over. Uh, it, this matters a lot in like matchups like Handlock. Um, it matters a lot in like against Demon Hunter. It can matter a lot. Like it basically just forces them to either clear the Troublemaker or they're dead the very next turn. Uh, so I'm interested to see how it performs. Um, Control Quest Warrior actually looks better at high levels of play compared to Agricross Warrior. Uh, because less mages and more rogues and armor gain plus the pressure plan of this deck um, translates pretty well in that matchup. As long, I guess, they don't play Guild Trader. Uh, I'm still not sure how much that matchup is affected. But uh, yeah, run Brawls. Brawls are good. They're better than Bladestorm in the current format. Um, you want to run as many pirates as possible. You know, uh, it's very popular to to run one sword eater because, you know, you have a lot of weapons and it just clashes. No, just proc your quest. Like, just proc your quest. Like, on curve, you can play a sword eater. It feels good. Um, oh, and Mutinous is very good. Uh, I've noticed that Mutinous is much better than Rattlegore in this deck. Rattlegore in Control Quest Warrior, you're not looking to close the game out quickly. You don't need that troublemaker on top of the quest world in order to win. You're just grinding your opponent out. Um, yeah, your Rattlegore is Captain so, Rokara. Like, that is your Rattlegore. Yeah, so you don't need the... the yeah, you, you don't need Rattlegore, uh, and it doesn't seem to perform nearly as well in this deck compared to, like, Control Warrior without the quest, where you need it for the win condition. So Mutinous is better because, you know, sometimes... You're putting them in a spot where they have to complete the quest without playing the reward, and that gives you that mutinous out. So mutinous is very powerful. Um, yeah, and control warrior is also being played. It's better against aggressive decks than control quests because you have more removal options, but its win condition is far slower. Since you're not running the quest, you're relying on Rattlegore with Faceless Manipulator in order to close games out, and obviously that's not going to work as well in a lot of matchups. I don't think I need to tell you what happens uh, when you're playing Radagor against a mage or you're playing Radagor against uh, a rogue and you get frozen by a single uh, brain freeze and that's it. Your win condition is just not effective for a full turn. Uh, so it can be it can be better. In, like The defensive tools makes it better against the, like, the Tom Druids in the world, but you're losing a lot in the late game. 
And then Big Warrior, you know, we've had the discussion. Do we play three threats? Do we play five threats? It seems like in most matchups, the number of threats you have are not as relevant as the quality of threats you put out. So being able to consistently pull out a Troublemaker or a Rattlegore out of your deck is currently a little bit more valuable than the Colossus. Though it's something that can change by next week. It's it's very close. It doesn't uh, matter that much. And that's it for Warrior. I mean, there are a bunch of factors here, but I think that we can say that, especially in Big Warrior, those last couple cards, you want to put another threat in, feel free. Um, I think that I generally would rather have the better thing, but also I understand there are those games where you draw all three early and then it sucks, so... Uh, it's it's I don't think it's a big deal. I, I honestly I think Control Quest Warrior. If like, if Mage ever gets nerfed in the future, I think this is a candidate, a tier one candidate. Yeah, this deck is totally very powerful. It. Definitely have yeah, seen an deck- uptick in slower Warrior decks at High Legend because specifically it's one of the few ways to consistently at least get some defense against Rogue. Yeah, it's it's it has an effective game plan against Rogue. Um, Paladin. Paladin also had some interesting developments with the secret build, the secret variant uh, starting to gain uh, traction, looking very competitive uh, with the, um, you know, the vanilla Libran Paladin. Um, I actually looked into the mage matchup and I was surprised to find out that the Libran Paladin, the secret Libran Paladin versus quest mage matchup is around 50-50. Really? Like that's dramatic. Yeah, that is a very dramatic difference from, you know, the build that doesn't run Oh My Yog and runs city tax and things that are completely useless. Which is well below 50-50. Yeah, yeah, well below it. Yeah, so so if you want to play Libran Paladin and enjoy the benefits of playing a tier one deck pretty much everywhere on ladder, but you're frustrated by mages, then... Come on down and net deck the the deck code of Secret Lib and Paladin because that matchup is very, very close. Of course, there are sacrifices. This deck is not necessarily better. Like against Tauntroid, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel worse against Tauntroid. Like at least 10% worse. It is yet matchup. another way to depolarize a deck by adding a weapon. Basically. Uh, it's kind of a it's a similar story to Quashaman and Doomhammer version, but I would say that Secret Living Paladin is far more competitive and arguably better in some rank brackets compared to the more defensive build, uh, which I didn't really see with Doomhammer. So very, uh, it's a good deck. The only question Mike I had is Talon. Why are we running Talon? I'm not sure, but again, we didn't have much data for this variant yet. To figure out alternatives. But the deck, the, the list in the report works very well. So you can try it out. It's pretty good. Oh my yog is still a good card. Uh yeah. Secret hand buff, no, no changes, no news. Warlock. Um I think this week was very encouraging when I saw the results of the data related to handlock and the way that it performs throughout ladder, including at high levels of play. I'm seeing a trend of this deck getting worse over time as it grows in popularity. That is a healthy and reasonable pattern. 
When a deck becomes more popular and then the win rates gets worse, that's kind of the behavior you want to see from decks. So even though Handlock currently a tier uh, uh, a top legend is tier one, it barely is, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it knocked out of that win rate uh, by next week. Though it is it is dependent on other things that are happening, it could still stay. But regardless of that, there's a difference between a deck that displays a tier one win rate with a 15% play rate compared to a deck that does that with a 5% play rate. If you really want to beat Handlock, you can do it. You can go do it. Yeah. Most of the time, it'll You work. can just play Face Hunter, which is currently the best performing deck at Top Legend, and just farm the Warlocks. That matchup has gone progressively worse for the Warlock as it repeatedly got nerfed because its swing back potential got hurt with these balance changes. Um, the healing from the quests are, is now slower. You're less reliant on, like you're less, it's less reliable. You're very reliant on getting to the last 10 cards and uh, playing Bristleback. Like you're very highly dependent on that. And sometimes things are just too late and the hunter burns you down before that. Speaking of Bristleback being activated, um, there is Altar of Fire. It's actually good. It's obviously good against Demon Hunter. Don't think I need to explain why Altar of Fire is a good card against Demon Hunter. But it's also pretty decent against Hunter. That's pretty much the only matchup other than Demon Hunter where Altar of Fire is useful. So when you look at Grandmaster lineups, I think uh, like Altar of Fire is quite popular and it makes sense in the context of these lineups because of the expected prevalence of demon hunter and hunter specifically yeah you're burning combo cards out of the dh and then you're turboing to your to your delete lock cards to your scavenger bristlebacks uh yeah. stabilization so in that in the context of of conquest it makes sense to run altar fire in the context of general ladder it doesn't make sense it doesn't make as much sense. It could make sense next week. I don't know. But for now, it's it's still a little bit too too fringe, too situational. Like, it's it's not affecting a, a big enough percentage of the field. But I personally like Outdoor Fire. Like, if I'm playing Handlock, I like playing Outdoor Fire. Just because it feels good. It just feels good to play. Um, also, you know, if you want to do better against Hunter, if you're seeing a rise in the presence of Face Hunter, you can tech a Baker too. That can work. Though I personally don't like Baker um, in this deck. Personally so, and the data also suggests it's, it's not important. Whenever I run Baker, it feels like I'm losing but slower. Yeah, but that's pretty much, that's the problem with Baker. That you want your healing to be proactive and be uh board positive bristleback is a big swing right you don't just cards heal. nutty when that card's active yeah, it feels he, really hard to come back from yeah yeah it's 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 really strong also baker doesn't help against mage whatsoever right so no. it, like the healing is pointless so so that's the main issue i have uh with uh, baker yep oh god i'm yawning so much um and honestly it's still the most true thing to remember about handlock is the best healing that the deck has is by suddenly playing you know 14 power worth of stuff and then healing to 30 when you start the next game when you kill him so you want to make sure that you just get to the point where you can stabilize and then all of your crap just drops into board all at once very satisfying but zach i'm sad 
Because I look, why, why are we? Saying? I look at the legend tier list, and the worst deck in the game at at high legend is Zoo. It's the actual worst deck on our list. Yeah, because honestly, whenever I, I still queue into them occasionally, it's so bad. It's not. But a that deck. deck got number one legend. That's apparently a number one legend deck. Hat. Wait, really? I must yeah, have somebody this got main. number one. Yeah, but no, but it, it. I mean, it happened on day one of the patch, which uh, kind of yeah. tells you all you need to know about day one decks. Day one number legend decks are not necessarily good. Uh, yeah, just don't 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 bother with it. Handlock is the way. Quest yep. Shaman, Quest Shaman is okay. It's a middling performer. It's. I think people are not playing it because it sucks against Mage. It doesn't feel particularly great to have a, to run a deck that sucks against Mage. It still gets the job done against aggressive decks, but it, it's you know it's less of a sure thing. So that's pretty much why you you see less of it. But it's still perfectly competitive. Uh, Elemental Shaman is kind of rising, getting more traction, becoming the more visible Shaman deck. It's actually doing quite well. I'm starting to see, right now. I'm seeing more of it now. Pizza got a uh, like he's pushed pretty far with it with yeah, the yeah. Uh, with the one gavel one nimbus list, which has felt pretty good to me. Yeah, you're. I think the reason more people are playing it because it's very good against hunter because of slogger. I don't think I need to explain why. And also, since you have a lot of constant pressure, uh, it, it kind of translates well against demon hunters. So the demon hunter is looking to counter the rogues, kind of uh, have issues uh, dealing with shaman, with elemental shaman. So that's a thing. But this deck has always been performing pretty well uh, throughout ladder. It just, I think it was an issue of visibility. I think it was uh, the bad quest shaman matchup that made it feel bad, right? Um, and and people were were just thinking, why would I play elemental shaman? I can play quest shaman, and now the quest shaman kind of got nerfed, and they're people are discouraged from playing it, then Elemental Shaman is, is just get, getting more visibility. What's not getting more visibility is Evolve Shaman. I really I really tried to get something going this week uh, with uh, the internal uh, analysis work, but I really couldn't because the deck is just not played. People just decide, I'm not playing Evolve Shaman, which is good. Guys, keep not playing it so we don't find out whether it's good or not. But it's probably... Not good enough to the point where it's worth experimenting with, I guess. This um, communal rejection of the concept of the deck, I'm proud of all of us. Yeah. I, I mean, this deck ruined two metagames. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a reason why we don't like it. It ruined Old Doom, which was great. Old Doom was great, and then Evolve. They brought in Evolve from Wild, and it ruined the game, at least for me and many others. And then it ruined, like... Dark Moon Fair for like three weeks. It's like like the game was unplayable. Over the holidays too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it ruined the holidays. Just like yeah. Evolve Shaman ruined Christmas. You heard it here first. Basically, ruined Christmas. Uh yeah. So it's just no visibility. Uh can't really work with it. There's no visibility with uh very little visibility with Shadow Priest too. I think this deck is better than it looks. Uh, it's but it's just, just not. Fine. It's probably just not worth playing. It's just not worth playing. I can't make a sales pitch for why someone should do it. I don't no, have a reason. Because someone face should hunter do it. is just better. Face hunter is just better. 
Like, the reason to do it would be to find a way to farm priest wins if you need a portrait or something, but even then, like, I don't know how many wins you're going to farm. It might be good enough. It might be okay. But I think if we're aiming for okay, we just want to do something a little better, right? Uh, yeah. I'm really, I'm personally, I think out of the mini set, I'm most curious to see what priest gets. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, the priest quest, okay, there is some inevitability there, but it's very slow inevitability. I'm just wondering wh- how how they plan to design uh priest's win condition going forward. Uh because if we're not that happy about priests just grinding you to dust and just making you want to stop playing the game, which was its win condition in Daring Barons, if we don't want to go into that direction, then what kind of like under other inevitability option could we get? We might not get some in, in the mini set, but I'm still curious about the direction of the class overall, because I think out of every class in the format, Priest is probably the one that feels the most lost, right? It kind of lost its footing, uh, I would say. Like, what am I supposed to do now? What is my purpose in Hearthstone? I've been annoying opponents and emoting for the last seven years, and now you're telling me I can't do that anymore? I can't grind people out uh, um, as much as I could before? So how am I supposed to win? I will remind you that some of the most famous priest decks did not grind you down. Most successful priest decks did not grind the opponent down. Raza Priest is a great example. Uh, Big Priest or Resurrect Priest didn't do that either. So Mind Blast Control Priest, same thing. And Priest tends to be very fun, at least for me, when it actually gets a proactive win condition. So I'm hopeful that there will be some way for Priest to be given a Troublemaker equivalent or something along those lines. Give us a reason to play it and make it not super tilting. Because Samura Apotheosis was a reason to play Priest, but it was super tilting. Uh, along with a lot of the other things the priest was doing. I'm hopeful they will find a way to make an identity for priests that makes sense. And I think Shadow is actually moving in the right direction. Um, though it's interesting, I was reading uh, I was reading some Reddit comments the other day, and Tonbury Blue, who's a known priest, uh, priest fan and a, and a great player, he made a good point that I've been thinking about for a while. With every other class, we're worried about them printing a concentration of cards that allows the quest to be completed faster. How can you complete the priest quest faster? You can't print an eight drop that costs three, right? Like you're gonna, you're there is no way to complete it faster. I mean, it's on purpose. The win condition is win the game. This right. wasn't designed to be this. The priest quest line, I think, was not designed to be a, a, a dominant force in the meta. I think that Team Five understood it when they printed it. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little. It's not that it was not designed to be dominant. It was designed to be not dominant. It yeah, was basically. actively designed to be to be yeah, not the, a the thing, thing that you when do you, to win games. When you print a quest reward that says "Win the game," that's not something that you're designing to be 10% of the meta. No. That's something that you're designing to be very fringe, to be a funsies card. Or a small section of the player base, which is part of design. You want to cater to different kinds of players, including those who are just playing the game for funsies 
and they're hovering at lower ranks and they don't care about climbing as much. They don't want just want to do funsy stuff. And I think the priest quest line kind of does that. Um, I'm more looking forward to seeing what kind of win condition are we gonna get for the more ser- the more serious late game strategies. I kind of wish we had a good shadow priest deck that was more defensive in nature, just wasn't just an aggro deck. I think it's definitely possible to do something like that, to support this kind of archetype, because it saw some experimentation, it just wasn't good enough. Uh, like a deck that runs Needle. Like Needle is an insanely good card. Insanely good card. But it just doesn't have, like, remember what I said. You know, I keep saying it. Razor Main Battleguard, I called it. Deck of Lunacy, I called it. I'm telling you that Needle is, I don't know if it's to that extent, but it's another one of these cards, like Gibberling, that just needs a good deck around it. And then you'll see how powerful it is. And it's the perfect card for, like, a Control Shadow Priest deck. It's just that there's not quite enough out there available for the deck to support like a good late game plan but it can happen i can see it happening for sure and i wish it would happen because i think that would be really cool could be really cool yeah like a shadow priest like a mind blast control priest one of my favorite ever decks during witchwood was mind blast control priest and i'm seeing like there's similar vibes here it just doesn't work right now and I know you're really curious about the priest cards. I am too. I'm really curious about the mage cards. Because uh, mage mini set seems like it's either going to be completely useless like caverns. Or it's going to be dangerous. And I'm not sure where they're going to go here. There's a narrow window in which they could make three cards that would make minion mage a bit more compelling. But I'm not exactly sure how they do it. I'd love to see it. I mean, wildfire mage is mostly limited with the fact that the, it's support shell, it's a minion support shell, it's just not good enough. If you gave them three good minions, I can see that deck working far better. So I, I don't think, I think the buffs to Wildfire, you're not feeling it right now, but the deck is much better than it used to be. This was a deck that couldn't even scrap 40% win rate before. There's yeah. some progress made. There's some progress there. It's, I've played against an active Mordrish on eight. That card is no joke. Like that's a real yeah. thing. And an active Mordrish on eight is is something, right? It's it can be very powerful. I think if you just increase the consistency of the uh, of the deck a, a little bit more, and you just gave them stronger plays, just stronger minions uh, that synergize with their game plan, the deck could definitely work. Uh, I don't think that it's as a far-off fantasy as it was uh, before these buffs. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think the mage, the mage mini set is also one of the more interesting ones. I agree. I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do. Other mini sets, I think, are more open. Like other classes, uh, I, I don't think there's like one big question mark. Like they could do pretty much anything, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Maybe some zoo cards. Maybe get some zoo cards. Copium. Yeah, maybe Please. some zoo cards. I can definitely see that. Please let me play Flame Imp again. I think zoo does need a little bit of help, for sure. A little bit? Is that, a do little you see bit. the tier list? You see that? It needs a lot of help. It needs like three good cards, and then maybe. 
worse than Wildfire Mage and Celestial Druid. Come on. Bring, some, bring back Voidwalker. Yeah, Wildfire Mage is actually better than Zoom. If the mini set just had Voidwalker in it, fine. I kind of miss Voidwalker. Can we bring it back to the core set? Oh, I really, I, I don't see, how was Voidwalker offensive in any way? Just, just put it back in the core set. Come on. Chucky, Gallon, let's get it done. Bring yes. it back. I'm offended that Flame Imp doesn't have Voidwalker to hang out with. That just doesn't feel right. All right. We're rambling now. We're going to cut the digressions. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Extra special thanks to our VS Gold and Patreon and VS Silver supporters, everyone that's been supported. You really help out the show. Uh, you can look forward to the next report next week on Thursday the 14th. On Saturday the 16th will be the next podcast. We will not cover Mercenaries, but it seems like it's 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 going to be a thing next week. But we're going to be here to talk about Standard. And uh, as always... Big thanks to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro. Steven, you are great. That's going to do it for our show this week. We'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.